So a bunch of us were up in Williamsburg today uh, helping Don and Michelle Agat move. They're an anchor family in the, uh, in the Williamsburg campus. And so uh, there were some teenagers there, praise the Lord, that have more energy than they know what to do with. One, one in particular, Kenny Tyler, he's as tall as I am and three of me. You know, he's big. And so when there would be some, we would come into a room and there would be a piece of furniture, you know, that looked like it was pulled in there by oxen, you know. I would walk in first and I'd go, hey, Kenny. Right. Because when you're when you're moving, you need some people that are able to do some of the heavy lifting. You ever move before? Right. There's people that you want there to help do some of the heavy lifting. They had a big, you know, cast iron uh, a lift on the back of the moving truck and it folds all up on there. And and so the truck had backed up and I reached down, you know, to grab it with one hand to pull it. And I gave it a jerk, and it, it jerked right back to me, right? So I said, hey, Kenny. It's the same when you're building a church. you got to have families that are willing to do some heavy lifting. And Nate and Lauren Nawatney have been a family that's been doing heavy lifting in this church, come on, for six years. In February of six years ago, they showed up as visitors at a Valentine's Day banquet because Tim and Christy Rogers had invited them. They were relatively new to the area. They were both trying to find the church. They were really close friends that they were going to all go to, and so they had each found a different church. And Nate and Laura were visiting another church that's not here in the area anymore, and, and Tim and Christy had started to come here. They had gotten a postcard in the mail. And so Tim and Christy and were saying, no, you've got to come, you've got to come, you've got to come. And so they came and and uh, to that Valentine's Day banquet six years ago, and they've been here ever since, and they've been doing heavy lifting. You know, when, when we didn't have anybody to oversee the student ministries a few years back, we turned to Nate and Laura, and they took that thing on. It grew. We were able to hire our first student ministries pastor in August. They've done heavy lifting. When we launched the campus in Williamsburg, and we needed somebody to go with Vanessa and I to help get that thing up and running, right, we reached to Nate and Laura because they know how to do the heavy lifting. And so tonight it's just it's with great excitement that 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 Nate comes because he's going to bring the word for us uh, this evening. And uh, I hope that you would make them feel welcome uh, as they come. You would make him feel welcome as he comes. And then at the end of the service, come on, that you're going to go up and you're going to give Nate and Laura a hug and you're going to say thank you for doing heavy lifting in this house. Come on. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, man, I'm starting to get emotional before I even start. Hey, I, I want to recognize just a couple people. My parents, if you guys give us a hug, make sure you give them a hug. My parents spent 25 years as senior pastors in Massachusetts. So, um, My wife, who has heard me preach this message about 10 times, um, my voice is gone. I'm, I'm not joking. My voice is gone because I've been preaching to her the whole time. She's like, save your voice, save your voice. And then last but not least, she didn't know I was going to do this, but my sister came up to me tonight right when she walked in and said, I can't believe you missed last week. Pastor Freddie's message was amazing. Boy, do you have big shoes to fill. So thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. If I wasn't nervous enough, now I am. So let me just jump right in. Chick-fil-A. So if you read this sentence somewhere, they stopped at the local Chick-fil-A. I'm guessing you, like me, would have no question understanding exactly what that meant. You probably start to get the savoring sensation of a Chick-fil-A sandwich going through your nostrils. The waffle fries. Thank God for waffle fries. And then you got the old debate, is it Chick-fil-A sauce 
or Polynesian sauce. Now, I got to be honest, I was once the Polynesian sauce camp. I switched over and went to the Chick-fil-A camp, and now I've decided I, I can't choose one. I love them both. Sometimes I want to go in and ask for a straw and some sauce, and that's all I want. <laughs> but, but you'd have no question understanding this. Much like these logos here. If you see these logos, most of them up there, most of you can say, I know exactly what that is. I have no question in my mind at all what that means. So we're a church that likes to do giveaways. So what I'd like to ask is, is there someone brave enough, maybe you've been coming here a month or less, so we're going to shoot for a month or less, that you're brave enough to say, I know what those logos are, and I'm willing to identify them. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. I got a Target gift card right here for you. I, I don't know if that helps you out any. All right, we'll do McDonald's. Shell, Buffalo Wild Wings, Starbucks, Target, and the hospital. Nice. Give a round of applause. I'm guessing most of you had no question identifying those. I threw in Buffalo Wild Wings, which is a personal favorite of mine. I thought it might stump a couple of you. But you have no question identifying those at all. But think about this. A couple thousand years from now, if the Lord decides to tarry and we're still here, if I'm talking about Starbucks to, or, or someone's reading a story about Starbucks, are they going to understand that? Probably not. I'm guessing it's more like the Jetsons where they push a button and they have Starbucks. I'm guessing people aren't leaving the house way 2,000 years in the future. They probably don't know that sensation of that aroma when you walk into Starbucks. They probably they have no clue what you're talking about. So if they read a story about someone going to Starbucks, they probably have to do a little bit of research. So here's an extra credit for you guys. First of Who's reading through the Bible with us in a year? This is for everybody. Okay. Let's do that one more time. Who's reading through the Bible in a year? All right. Change of plans. Everyone open up to Genesis 1. We're going to catch you up. I'm just kidding. We're not going to catch you up tonight. But if you're reading through the Bible in a year with us, you've already come across this verse, Genesis 50.10. It says, when they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River, they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. So just like people in the future are probably not going to understand everything that we have in our society today. Sometimes we read stuff that happened a couple thousand years ago, and we might not grasp that either. So we have to work a little bit harder to understand it. So the extra credit question, who can tell me what the thresh threshing floor is? Were they, who said that? Stan, I, I told my wife, Laura, I said, I guarantee you Stan Anderson raises his hand and has the answer. I promise you I said that. Anyone else? Where they thresh grain? Anyone else? Wheat and chaff. Close. That's, that's good. That's part of it. Anyone else? My slide's giving you a little bit of a hint, the blowing away of the words. So listen, the threshing floor isn't just, just some insignificant, minuscule uh, thing that was mentioned in the Bible. This is just me counting. I went through the Bible and I found the word threshing was used 50 times. I found the word winnowing is used 10 times and the word chaff was used 18. Now that's chaff, not chafe. Like when you go to Bush Gardens and on a water ride and your pants start to, it's, it's not chafing, okay? We're talking chaff. So this is just the times that I went through the Bible and counted these things. And I don't have the best, best tracker to, to figure out how many other words were used to describe it. 
So this isn't some insignificant thing that was just mentioned in passing. This is something that is throughout the Bible. So just like people in the future would have to do research to find out the things that are relevant today, sometimes when we read the Bible, we need to take the time and do the research to find out what were they talking about. Because oftentimes there's rich treasures that we can unlock by doing that. So we're going to talk about the threshing floor tonight. You heard some of the answers, and that's all part of it. I want us to get a really good understanding of what it is. It's a large circular area. It had a really hard floor, either rock or just dirt that was pounded down and tamped down. It was surrounded by a stone border, and it's where the harvest was brought in. Now, it was near the top of a mountain peak. It wasn't in a valley. It was in an area that was raised up so that the wind could blow across this area, and that's important, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the harvest was brought in. Men would carry in the harvest, or donkeys, or oxen or camels would carry in the harvest, and they'd throw it down on the threshing floor. At that point, the threshing process would take place. And what that would mean is just a breaking up of the stalks. Some men would come around and stomp with their feet. Others would have a slide that they'd pull behind them that kind of broke, broke apart the stalks into smaller pieces. Some, some would use animals and pull a sled behind them that would break apart the grains. And what you're left with is a grain what they want, and a chaff, what holds no value to them. The other thing we see in the Bible is that it's a landmark or a meeting place. People would go there. It, it, it was like, a, a, you know, when I say turn right at, at Chick-fil-A, they say, hey, it's a mile past the threshing floor of Clem's house. So they'd, they'd be very descriptive. They use it as a landmark they describe. Last but not least, the winnowing process took place there. And what that is, is after they have these big piles of grain and chaff, they would either use their hands and they'd throw it up in the air or they'd use a, a, like a pitchfork type tool. And remember, I said it's in a high area so the wind could blow across it. And they'd throw this all up into the air and the wind would race across and the grain just had a weightiness, a heaviness to it. So the, the grain would go straight up and then come straight back down. And the chaff or the things of no value would be blown away by the wind leaving you with big piles of grain with what you want. So it was just a constant uh, winnowing process. The, the harvest would come in, and people are throwing it up in the air, throwing it up in the air. When I picture this, I picture little kids running through, getting it all in their hair. You know what I mean? It's, sometimes it's good. You just got to put yourself in that situation. You got to understand exactly what happened in that place. So I, I found this little artist's rendition so you guys could have a good idea what it looked like. You can see it's not a one-man job. A lot of people were involved in this threshing process. So tonight, I want to talk to you about how the, your church is a threshing floor. Now, if you're visiting with us tonight, you can substitute that City Life Church for your church. Because it's not us. We're not, we're not just that special. We're not the only church. We recognize that. You know, Pastor Freddie Villarreal was here last week. And so Freedom Life is their threshing floor. I saw Matt Rogers, Pastor Matt Rogers was here tonight. His church is their threshing floor. But for most of you here tonight, the City Life Church is your threshing floor. And what I mean by that, it's a place that we come into. And then the parts of our life begin to get broken up, begin to get threshed. And hopefully, if everything goes to plan and you allow it to go to plan, you're left with the grain. And you're left with the stuff of value, the good things in your life. And the Holy Spirit has taken away the chaff, not the chafe. 
I would take that away too if you pray <laughs> and use some lotion. But, but he's going to take away the chaff in your life. So I'm going to make four points tonight. I'm going to ask you four questions tonight. All right? We're going to do four questions about the threshing floor and some statements about them too. And I want you, as we ask these questions, to examine yourself and ask yourself, how does that affect me? How does that relate to me? So my first question, are you connecting? Threshing is relational. We're not in an agricultural society anymore. But we still need to come together at the threshing floor. Some of you may say, I, I don't really understand what you're talking about. You just gave this really cool illustration about what happened back in the day. How is the church the threshing floor? I'm not, I'm not putting the two together. Well, I had no idea it was going to work out this well, but dude, the worship set tonight? I mean, if you didn't feel anything, you got to check your pulse. I mean, God was moving in this place tonight. So here's four things we're going to look at real fast here. Worship. Have any of you ever been in a worship service where as soon as it started, or maybe someplace in the middle, you just felt something, and you don't even know what it was? I I've talked to people, they say, gosh, I was crying all through worship. I don't even know why. Or, dude, I felt like just something was wrong. I almost wanted to leave the room. I just, I, I, I felt uncomfortable during that worship time. Or how about this illustration of Pastor Fred holding up his Bible, pointing his finger. You can't see on there because it's shadow, but he's, he's wearing a bow tie, right? Right? That's how we know it's him. And, and I, I share this one because this has happened to me many times. How many of you have sat when someone's speaking and all of a sudden it feels like someone was adjusting the mechanical lights and put the spotlight on you, and the message was dire directed straight at you, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I shared something with Pastor Fred a few months ago, or, or I told someone else, and they told Pastor Fred, and he's talking to me right now. And you start to get uncomfortable. And, and I've been there, I've sat in that seat, I've been in this church and that's happened. And, and he'll be looking out like I'm looking at many of you, and he'll quickly make eye contact, and I'll say, yep, it's definitely... It definitely me, and I'll look the other way. <laughs> Maybe he didn't see me noticing that he's, yeah. I mean, that's happened to me. That's happened to me. In, 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 when I was in Missouri in college, I went to a church of, of thousands, and there's no way the pastor could have known what was, what was in, going on in my life, but I felt it. I felt like the spotlight is on me. Sweat is dripping down my face. He's, he's talking to me. Prayer. Have any of you been prayed over, and someone just speaks a word over you, that they didn't know what was going on in your life. But it applied directly to you and is exactly what you needed to hear. Or how about when you're just praying on your own? You're in church during pre-service prayer. And you, you've got a situation you're struggling with. And you just, you've been struggling with it all week. You've been praying about it. You come into the house and you start praying. And boom, you got an answer. I know that's happened to me. I know, I know I'm not the only one. And how about life groups and fellowship? You ever been in a life group when someone starts sharing their story? Maybe it's someone a little older than you, and they're talking about a few years ago, this is what I went through. And then you, you're like, oh, my goodness, are they making this up? Because that's what I'm going through right now. And then you see them on the other side, and you, and you begin to say, wow, I can, make, I can make it through it. So all these things are important things that are a part of the threshing process in our life that happens when we come into church. These days, there's a lot of people saying, well... I just read Rob Bell's new book, and I listen to worship when I drive into work, and 
I watch T.D. Jakes on TV once in a while, and I don't really need to go to church. You know, <laughs> I went to church when I was younger. I was bored. It's not for me. But, and then, and then also, this is the thing that kills me when people say, eh, the Bible doesn't really say you need to go to church. But I think the Bible is extremely clear on this, and we're going to jump into that for a second. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Who's our ultimate example? Who's the person we're supposed to follow? It's not me. It's not Pastor Fred. Dad, it was, it's not you, although I'm supposed to follow you in some ways. But Jesus is our example. Man is going to let you down at some point in time. Jesus is our example. So we see here in Luke 4, 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. It didn't say Jesus went into Nazareth and he chilled with his boys because he hadn't seen him in a while because he'd been out of town, and he's going to catch up and go to the synagogue next week. You know, Jesus traveled a lot. When he came into towns, I'm sure he had the feeling that he wanted to see people. But the number one priority in his life, just like it should be for us, is being in his house. Because he knew that that's where the threshing process occurred. One of my favorite verses, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I talked about that, that life group situation. Let me ask you this question tonight. Who holds you accountable? Who in your life asks you the tough questions? And don't look at your spouse. That's their job. They need to do that too. But there has to be someone outside of that. There has to be someone that you connect with relationally that's asking you the difficult questions. Oftentimes the questions you don't want to be asked. That's the question that that person needs to be asking. You know, it's so easy to surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear. But if you're really in his house, if you're really in his house relationally, if you're connecting in, and it's just as much your responsibility as anyone else's, and I'd say more so yours, to seek out people, to seek out that person and say, hey, hold me accountable. You know, we're a church of accountability. I don't know if you know this, but as a governance team, the men and the women of the governance team, we meet separately. And Pastor Fred has a list of questions that we go through. It's got to be like a 1,000. It's really not. It's probably like 30 or 40. It's a million questions, and they are not easy questions. They are difficult questions. But I love it. I love it. I'm getting asked the questions that are tough. I don't want to be around the people saying, dude, it's all good. You can, you're okay. You're okay. You can do that. Well, the Bible's not too clear on that. It's okay. Everyone else is doing that. You got to find that person that's going to ask you the tough questions. Number two, are you hoarding? Threshing is instructional. You know, sometimes in our lives, we don't know what's wrong with us. We do things for so long, it becomes part of who we are. It's hard to, to recognize the things that maybe have turned into chaff in our life, and it's not always all bad. I remember a couple of years ago, Juice did a message. I think it was called Check Up from the Neck Up. Is that what it was called? He doesn't remember. <laughs> Apparently, it's more impactful to me than it was to him. <laughs> Thank you, Juice. But he did something that I'll never forget. How do you check if you have bad breath? Does anyone know? The spoon. I didn't know that until Juice preached about that. So just like in our life, sometimes we don't know we have bad breath, right? For those of you who don't know, you lick a spoon, you let it dry, and you smell it. It's really gross. But it's honest, right? It tells us what's going on. It's instructional for us. 
I want to show you guys something. This right here is a baseball. This is signed by the 1967 Red Sox. This is something that I hold high value in. Now, monetarily, this is worth thousands of dollars. At one point, someone told me it was worth about $5,000. I don't know. Um, but to me, it's worth a lot more than that. And I would not sell this. I don't care if I'm on the street. My parents, when they gave it to me about 10 years ago, said, if you need to sell it, you can if you need the money. I'm not selling it. And hopefully I give it to my son when he's old enough. And, and he chooses he's not going to sell it either, and this stays in our family. You know, this baseball was given to my mother by a, play, a player named Jose Tartable, who played for the 67 Red Sox. Some of you might know his son, Danny Tartable. Well, Jose Tartable was married and decided to ask out my mom. And my mom said, no, you're married. So we gave her a baseball signed by the 67 Red Sox. I'm embarrassing my mom right now. And not only did he give her a baseball, but he gave her a baseball and her friend stole it. So she went back and said, hey, my friend stole that baseball. Let me get another one. So this is that baseball right here. So as you can see, this baseball, it's got a cool story. His son, Danny Tartable, um, for some of the, the younger people in here, he went on to play in the major leagues for, I think, 10, 15 years, too. He's a really good baseball player. But... It's got, a, it's got a backstory, so it has value. I'm a Red Sox fan. My son can do just about anything, but he better follow Jesus and the Red Sox <laughs> and the Patriots and the Celtics and Bruins. But that's another story. What if I held up this and I stood in front of you today and said, this right here, this crushed can of soda holds great value to me. I know some of you that are here with a significant other would probably turn to each other and say something like, Let's roll. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Nate's lost it. But what if I told you that? What if I said this, this holds great value to me? And maybe I made up a story and said, you know, my neighbor, we were cool, man. And a couple of years ago, he, he drank out of this and threw it down on the ground. I, I picked it up and I thought, you know what? Maybe someday down the line, I'll have a use for this. I'll figure out something I can do with it. And I, I know many of you know where I'm getting at here. And we're moving to the show Hoarders. Anyone a Hoarders fan? Not, not anyone a hoarder. Anyone a fan of the show Hoarders in here? I know my wife better be raising her hands. We have to Tebo every single episode. She loves it. She can't get enough of this show. So if, in case you're not aware, this is a show about dysfunctional people. Okay? These people place value in invaluable things. And just a quick background, something happened in most of their lives, somewhere in their past, and, and, and something just went wrong. And all of a sudden, they felt like they need to hold on to all this valueless stuff and, and place value in it. And some of it, if you watch it long enough, it's not all bad. You know, I've seen episodes where the house was disgusting because it's just filled to the ceiling with stuff. But if you actually look at the stuff, it's new clothes. It's got price tags on it. it. It's not all trash. Some of these people will hoard great things. And then others, my personal favorite, the animal hoard. Anyone seen the animal hoard? Where you got hundreds of animals running around a house. It's disgusting. Now, if I ask, I'm, besting, I'm betting that more than probably 75, 80% of you in here have some kind of pet. So having a pet in and of itself is not bad. It's when you start to put the value in a million pets and running wild and taking over your life. And, and, and just like chaff, these things that we place value in can overtake our lives. What's the chaff in your life? Sin isn't the only culprit. Some things aren't wrong in and of themselves. You know, some of you in here may have an obvious sin in your life. And that's someone you need to go talk to someone about right now. You need to work on that. You need to get rid of that. But there's others in you who have been in the church a long time. And maybe you don't have an obvious sin in your life. 
But maybe you're placing your value in things that are taking over your life. Some of you are laughing. I put Call of Duty up for myself. I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> and I'll just tell you this. I really have not yet figured out what this Pinterest thing is, okay? But I know that women in this church, it has taken over your lives. I don't want to even look at this site. It's, it looks dangerous. And maybe it's just a girl thing. I don't know, but it's frightening, okay? Facebook. I like the Facebook stock. I like to look at what's going on. People, they don't know I'm looking at their pictures. <laughs> Television. For me, like I said, Call of Duty. Now, I I'm just going to open up and be real about part of my story. You know, we're always trying to be perfect like our Heavenly Father's perfect, right? Matthew 5:48. Call of Duty took over my life for a time. It became something that was an obsession. I would go, some of you know this and others, you're going to be shocked, but I played at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning with other men in this church. So don't, don't shake your head like I'm bad. <laughs> but we got headsets and we're talking and we're shooting the bad guys together and we're talking trash to the kids. And they're like, okay, old man, time to go to bed. And they, but it was fun and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd play some more and I'd come home from work and I'd play some more and I went from this period where I was addicted to Call of Duty. I was addicted to video games. So, you know, coming into the threshing floor and those things that we talked about earlier, I started to feel convicted of that. I started to feel like, you know what, I'm placing too much of value on this item in my life. So I've cut it back. For those of you who recently been saying, dude, you haven't been on in weeks, I'm coming back. I haven't given it up, okay? But I just have to find a place in my life where it's, it's there. It's okay. It's okay to play video games. It's okay to do all these things. But it has its place and its time. It can't be the thing that takes over your family time. It can't be the thing that takes over your prayer time. It can't be the thing that takes away your, your quiet time with God or your, your time in the, in the word. And it certainly cannot be the thing that keeps you from coming to the threshing floor each week. I'm getting real with some people now. I hope you feel like the spotlight just turned on you. Because I get frustrated going on Facebook and seeing reasons why people aren't in church. And I might be preaching to the choir, but hopefully some of these people listen to the, the podcast. God said that this is the place you need to be. He made this his habit. He didn't make these other things. Now, again, you're probably saying, Nate, you weren't here last week. That's the first thing you said to us tonight. That's about the third time I miss. I, I normally miss two to three times a year for work. And that happened to be one of the weekends. So it's bad timing on my part. But, <laughs> but I'm here. Just like most of you, you're here. You're making it a priority because guess what? If I'm not here for a period of time, my life gets filled with chaff. And I need to be in here to do like Juice said, even though he doesn't remember it, a checkup from the neck up. I need to check my breath. In Philippians 3.8, we read Paul say, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And you see the word dung in there. I asked Pastor Fred to kind of look over my notes. And man, this is the best point he gave me. That when Paul wrote this in his native tongue, the word he used translates to dung, which in their day was actually the S word. I mean, it was a curse word. He was trying to make a point. Now, now we don't go around saying, hey, the Bible likes to swear. They swear in the Bible. We can do it too. That, that's not the case. Paul was trying to make a point that would radiate with everyone that was around to say, hey, this is a big deal. I'm trying to get you guys to understand this. Everything else in my life is dung. 
Today we'd probably say crap or poop. Some of you use other words when we're not in church. But you get the picture. He was very clear on this. The number one thing that we place value in, the grain in our life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Point number three or question number three, are you serving? Threshing is supernatural. We talked about it a little bit tonight. But the moments that occur in a church during that threshing, pro- that, that threshing process, it just doesn't happen by accident. It's a supernatural process. It's God giving someone a word to say to someone else. It's Kevin Tully being felt, i got to pick out a song out of the song bank that's not in the song bank so I can speak to Myra Hess. Even though he had no clue. I don't even know if you, do you really even know Myra? A little bit, maybe. He's like, I don't, I don't really know. Why, why are you singling me out? But <laughs> it's, it's, it's God does a, a supernatural thing. That feeling in our chest, that, that uncomfortable feeling, that, that crying, that's a supernatural sensation that's going on. And how does that happen? Does anyone know? I don't. I was just, no, I do know. <laughs> how does that happen? It happens because there's people serving in this church that create that moment. Where do you serve? Every ministry of the church contributes in some way so that a threshing moment can occur. Now, if you're with us tonight, I hope when you walked in, you got a handshake and a smile from someone at the door. And if you have children, I hope you, you walked over to the nursery and, and you gave your, your child over to a smiling worker who's happy to take them and speak life in for a couple hours. And then when you walked in further, I hope you were given a name tag and a smile from someone else. And then you went a couple more steps, and you got a, hopefully a handshake from an usher. And if the, there's a lot of seats and you couldn't find out where the seat, they helped you sit down. And then you came in here and you saw an amazing, amazing worship service. And many of you don't realize the sound people. I, I'm involved in the sound ministry, and what I like to tell my team is, Best case scenario, no one knows we're here because they're making this service happen. The only time you recognize a sound person is when something goes wrong, right? And then you get the amazing moving background and the slides that come up and someone moving the words. Every single person that's a part of that process is allowing the threshing process to occur. It doesn't happen by accident. I'm just going to just, just say the team that comes in here to do, I'm going to single them out, the tech and the sound and worship, They're here every week three hours before this service starts. They're giving up of their time and their energy, their family time, so you can be here in a threshing moment. You have a gift, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. You have the gift of helping others. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. When everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The human body is many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Many of you are familiar with the quote, ask not what you can do for your country, but what you... Or, what, what you what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I put a little twist on that because I think it's relevant here. Ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. When you start to serve your church, that's when the things happen for you. 
and with the right attitude. It's jumping in and doing the labor to make things happen. Pastor Fred has a quote that I love, right feelings follow right actions. Serve in the need until you can serve in your passion. I'm not going to tell you this next thing because I pat myself on the back, but let me just tell you, Fred told us we've been here for six years. There is not a ministry in this church that I have not done. I've greeted people at the door. I've served as an usher. I've counted money after offering, sound, slides, worship. I served as a teacher in the children's class. And that is an experience that I wish to never experience again. It was not my calling nor my specialty. You know, we spent three years over the youth here. A lot of that, the youth and the worship and and tech, that's my calling. That's my passion. That's where I serve because that's where I think God wants me. That's where I'm gifted. The kids, there was a need. And I served until that next person that had that calling and that passion stepped into that, that area of their life. Some of us in this room need to say, where can I serve? Where can I jump in? How can I help this threshing process occur? What can I do to make this happen? Right feelings follow right actions. Jump in. When you, when you have a servant's heart, number one, you're allowing this to occur, like I said, but number two, that's when Christ starts to work in your heart and do things for you. Final question, question number four. Are you sacrificing? Threshing is prodigal. In prodigal, we think of the prodigal son, right? But prodigal actually means lavish. You know, when the, when the harvest came in at that threshing floor, they never kept it all for themselves. That first 10% directly went out as a tithe. They paid their taxes. They gave to their friends. They gave to their family. They gave to their neighbors. And after all that, you read nonstop in the Bible about them giving to the poor. So they took everything they had and they made a sacrifice immediately. They gave it up. They did all that work. They did that threshing process. They worked so hard to bring that in only to give it away. Many of you tonight may be saying, well, I've been going to church forever because I've been going to church forever. And maybe you're just going through the motions. That's been happening forever. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. It's become a tradition. It hasn't become a sacrifice. Back to the threshing floor. We read in 2 Samuel 24, 24 through 25, and this is in the message. But the king, and they're talking about King David here, said to Arana, no, I've got to buy it from you for a good price. I'm not going to offer God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifice. So David bought the threshing floor and the ox, paying out 50 shekels of silver. He built an altar to God there and, and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. The thing about this that just jumps off the page for me, and I hope for you, he's not going to offer a sacrifice that didn't cost him anything. He's not going to give to God something that didn't cost him anything, didn't hurt him. If, if Arana gave him that stuff, then whose sacrifice was that? That was Arana's sacrifice. That wasn't David's sacrifice. You know, salvation's free. 
It's freely given, and we're free to receive it. But it comes with expectations. And God wants to see fruit. Some of that fruit is, is exhibited in your life by making sacrifices to eliminate some of the chaff. Some of the things that you're placing value in, that again, it might not be that bad of a thing. You know, maybe I can play Call of Duty and limit it, but maybe you can't. Maybe Facebook is such a stumbling block that you can't do it in moderation. It's consuming your time, consuming your energy. For some of us, we need to allow that threshing process to occur. We need God to reveal to us and instruct us, what is it in my life that needs to be taken away? What is it in my heart that, that, that just doesn't belong? You know, I'm green, but there's a lot of chaff here. And the Holy Spirit, when we come into this place, blows like the wind and takes it away. If you let him, if you let him, you have to be willing to let him. Because you can sit there and you can feel all the emotions you want. But unless you allow the Holy Spirit to thresh you, you have to allow him to complete the process. And you can't be willing to step out the door of the threshing floor and pick up your chaff or your dung or whatever it is in your life that you're holding on to. If you guys could stand with me, I've asked Kevin to do a song. And I'm going to invite some people to come down to the altar for our people that are praying with us or others, if you could come down. Guys, there's nothing special about the altar. God can do a work right there in your seat just like he can do a work up here. He can do a work at your house just like he can do a work at the threshing floor. But sometimes we need to make a sign, both to ourselves and to others and to God, and say, hey, I'm ready to take a stand. I can say it to myself all I want, but if I walk up there, it means something. So I want to challenge you. I hope some of you felt the spotlight on you tonight. This message was not directed to anyone. I literally have none of you in mind. If anything, it directed it at me. I used to tell the youth when I speak, I'm speaking to you, but I'm learning. There's things in my life that I got to thresh out and let the Holy Spirit winnow out of my life. So I'm going to challenge you tonight. If you're placing values in the wrong things, they might not be bad. But they've overtaken the place where you're not able to come to the threshing floor every week. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm supposed to be giving to my church, both my time and my money, but I put my value in two things, two other things that take up both my time and my money. Maybe you're just holding on to things from the past. God wants to thresh you here in this place tonight, and not just tonight, but every time you come into this place. So if, if any of those questions apply to you tonight, and one more thing, if you're standing here tonight and you say, I've never made a decision. I've never made a decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you need to be up here. You need to take that step and you need to go pray with someone. Everyone else, you, don't, you can pray with someone. There's people available, but you can just come up here and stand here. There's no magic line. But as Kevin does this song, we're going to come up and close afterwards. As Kevin does this song, I just want to encourage you, come to the threshing floor.